This is the Luke Thomas Show podcast. You can listen to the full show weekdays from 3 to 6 p.m. Eastern on Sirius XM Fight Nation Channel 156. Today on the Luke Thomas Show podcast, we're going to talk to Javier Mendez from American Kickboxing Academy. We're going to get updates on a whole lot of people. Khabib, Kane. We're going to talk about Daniel Cormier, Luke Rockhold, and so much more. Plus, I'm going to answer the question, who's the tougher fight for Nurmagomedov? Is it Justin Gaethje or Tony Ferguson? And we're going to hear from the chief administrative officer from the city of Jacksonville, Florida, Brian Hughes, on what the city has done and will do to get the UFC prepared for Saturday's big event in terms of health and safety. The Luke Thomas Show airs weekdays, 1 p.m. East Coast time, right here on Sirius XM Fight Nation, channel 156. Joining us on the hotline is one of the premier coaches uh, in the sport over at Pardon me, American Kickboxing Academy in San Jose, California. We have him on the show often. There's a lot to talk to him about, so we wanted to have him on the show to check in with things. It is the one and only Javier Mendez. Hi, Javier. How are you? Good, Luke. How are you? Thanks for having me. Yeah, good to talk to you. Javier, let's start with you first as a gym owner. Uh, we had John Wood from Syndicate MMA, and you know he did not have a lot of great things to say about the uh, pandemic in terms of how it has affected his gym, as you could well imagine. I'm wondering if you could tell us how you're dealing with all of this uh, not well craziness, really. Uh, you know, well, I mean, the, the most important thing is that the, the, you know, the, the people are safe. We're all safe. That's the number one priority. Um, but... I mean, I have to admit, uh, you know, the way the government's been running this is pretty shitty. You know, they they pretty much, they, you know, we all, every gym owner knows that we've all been screwed on this one. We, we, we've been told to shut down, but yet, you know, they don't give us enough to, to survive on, you know. So uh, thank God for some of us that have money saved up for things like this and others that don't are going out of business, you know, and. You know, I mean, there's a lot of people going to be very, very upset at the end of the at the end of the day. You know, when it's all said and done, because they didn't do the right thing. You know, they didn't. And and I don't think you're going to find one gym owner that's going to uh, disagree. The, the government handled this wrong. If they're going to take care of us, they didn't take care of us right. Right. I mean, the whole argument is if you're going to make people stay indoors and you're going to shut businesses down, okay. But then you have to conversely make sure that you provide the businesses with some kind of lifeline so that during the shutdown, they don't go out of business. And to your point, right, they've done a really bad job of that. Well, let me give you a perfect example. For me, for instance, my, net, my, my, my lease on my building is huge. It's a huge amount of money. Okay, well, they approved for me to get, like, uh, for payroll and everything, like $43,000 for all this has happened, right? $43,000. Okay, and that's to pay your employees. That's not to pay your lease. That's not to pay your mortgage. That's not to pay anything but just your employees, you know, and 25% goes to pay for, the, for, the, for uh, uh, rental or whatever else. 25%? Are you kidding me? You know, my lease alone is is, is, is way above that. Hmm. Well, I, I wish you the best, Hav. I'm sorry that everyone, including you, is going through this. Um, not sure what else to say, but uh, glad to hear that you're doing yeah, better than you know, some. It is what it is. It is what we're going to survive, you know. And, you know, I'm just saying, you know, for, for all these politicians, I mean, i got to say F the politicians, to be honest with you. <laughs> I'm not happy with any of them. Yeah, I, I, who could blame you? Uh, all right, so let's talk about some other issues in the sport. This weekend, an interim title fight in the, the lightweight division. Tony and Justin, I know that you've got your allegiances, Hav, to Nurmagomedov, which we'll talk about in just a second. But as a fight fan, you got to be pumped for this one. What is your sense about what will happen on Saturday in that main event? Well, when it first 
first originally uh, it was, was matched, right? And Gacy didn't uh, didn't quite have as much time, and, and Tony didn't have as much time to get, prepare for for a different type of fight. I kind of I kind of thought Gacy, but now that Tony's had more time to prepare, man, I'm kind of thinking Tony. Either way, it's going to be a barn burner of a fight. I'm so excited to watch it, you know, because those two guys are going to perform. They're going to perform. You know, it's going to be a great fight, man. Great fight. One of the major questions that comes out of this is always who, well, obviously who will face uh, Habib, but the other one is who's a who's a better matchup for him. Do you have a sense of which matchup? Again, allegiances here matter, but do you have a sense of like who in your mind would be the tougher fight? Uh, they all have different strengths. So wrestling-wise, they cancel each other out when it comes to going with Habib. They both have Division One wrestling. Um, striking, they're different than striking. I, we worry with elbows with, with Tony. He's got great elbows and some submissions that are that are, are tricky, whereas Justin has none. But Justin is great with leg kicking, great leg kicker. He's going to be in your face. Um, and he throws decent power. He's going to knock you out. He has the intention of knocking you out. Um, they both possess different different strengths. Um, uh, that's what I have to say about that. I don't, I don't think one's really in my opinion, that much more dangerous for Habib than the other. They're both dangerous, you know, and they both possess different uh, different strengths. The only thing about Tony is, in my opinion, is you can't break him. He won't break. He will not break. So you're going to be in there five rounds with this guy, and if you can't make five rounds, you're in trouble. Right, and the cardio backs that up. I mean, I guess the question would be, if he faces Justin or Tony, right, no matter who it is, would that be the toughest fight for Habib to date? No, I'm sorry. I think it's still Connor, even though people may disagree with me. But I just know how good Connor is. Hmm. Connor's the toughest fight to date. That's interesting. I, I, I guess I am a little surprised to hear you say that. Um, is it just because of the nature of his striking? Because Tony is, like, even if you want to say Tony's not nearly as good as a striker as Connor. He's he's a lot more well rounded though, right? And he's got better cardio. Uh, he's got way better cardio, but 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 Connor was dangerous. You know, anytime you let Connor unleash any kind of striking, he could put you out, and and that's why I, that he was so dangerous to me. Is you know, you let Connor get in his groove, he would have done some amazing damage if we would have allowed it to. But of course, that wasn't going to happen. But but no, I, I I still feared him. I really do. You know, and not. Not that I don't fear than the other guys, but I still fear him. I still think he's he, he definitely has on 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 the level of who can do what. I think he still is one of the guys that, that I would do more homework on. Hmm. Interesting. Javier Mendez joins us here on the Luke Thomas show. So we know uh Nurmagomedov is in Russia. Have you had any contact with him? A little bit here, yeah. Yeah. We we, we exchange messages here and there. Yes. It's so, going crazy over there right now. He, he he's uh Man, they can't even go anywhere. <laughs> it's kind of like uh, I talked to Islam personally on that, and he said he's only allowed to go to one store and allowed to walk, and that's it. Walk uh, to the store and back. He's got to stay in quarantine. Wow. Okay. Still, though, I mean, are they? I guess they're not. Well, I guess he's not really. Tra- I mean, is he training? Like, what is he able they're to training, do? They're training, but but they're not training together. Islam isn't training with him. Islam's training on his own in his backyard. 
And, uh, and you know, I haven't even posed that question to Habib. It's more about how you're doing, how's your family doing. We haven't been talking nothing about fam- uh, about fighting, just family, how they're doing, you know, because, I mean, this is scary times, you know, so you always want to make sure that the people you love are, are, are protected and that they're okay, you know, it's good peace of mind. Hmm. Interesting. Um, obviously, we're in the middle of Ramadan and, you know, who the hell knows what's going to happen with the future. Has he given any indication to you or UFC? Is there any sense about when any not return to normalcy, but a return to action might be realistically possible for him? We're worth hoping we're hoping we can get in August or September, preferably September. Uh, in, because I believe uh, the UFC has Abu Dhabi in September, we want to go. We want to go to Abu Dhabi, and 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 one of the reasons why I want to go there is because I get to be there with his father, uh, training Habib. Because his father, for whatever reason, still hasn't been able to get a, a visa. So so I want to I want to be in Abu Dhabi uh, with his father because his father's a great trainer, and, and it's just I like the chemistry when his father's around. It's better, you know, and and. That's why I want I want I want it there for that reason. And if I recall correctly, I think he was hospitalized recently. I'm I'm, I'm hoping he's better now. Yeah. I you know I talked to Ali. I talked to Habib when I got those messages. They go, no, my father's fine. So I don't know, man. It's, shoot, I I didn't pursue it after that. But I'm like, mm. where'd you get that? I'm I'm confused because I'm like. I didn't, no one never told me, you know, and when I asked the people directly, they said, no, he's fine. So that's uh, weird. I, I only saw what was reported, but you know, I don't, you, you just never know what to make of reports that from a country that far away. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I didn't hear from anybody, you know, and then, then I was going to call people and I go, you know what? I'll just leave it alone. If, if, if he tells me his father's fine, his father's fine. Why would he lie to me? Fair enough. Uh, let's talk about some other folks that are relevant to you. We're in a weird situation with 249, right, Hoff? Because you've got Francis taking on J.R. Rosenstruck, and there's a conversation. It's not going to happen, but there's a conversation about does the winner here get an interim title? Because Stipe is saying as a first responder, I don't want to compete during the pandemic. Now he's kind of walked it back a little bit, saying maybe around the fall. DC is waiting on him. What do you make of this log jam at heavyweight? Um, it's kind of a little crazy, you know. I don't know what's going on with Stipe, but uh, you know, I know Daniel. I mean, I mean, he, maybe he's bitter because he thinks uh, Daniel avoided him. When in fact, Daniel never avoided anybody. <clears throat> Daniel has always fought everybody the UFC's ever put in front of him until just recently. He's never said no to anybody. He's always said yes to everybody the UFC was ever uh, put in front of him except recently. He said no to to uh, maybe one or two people because he wants his title shot with Stipe, and that's it. But but before that, Daniel never refused anybody. So I don't know where Stipe gets that Daniel refused to fight him back then when, when he said he was entitled to that rematch when, you know, the UFC offers you fights. You know, you can't say, well, I want to fight Stipe for the rematch. They don't let you do that. You know that. They decide who you're going to fight. You can you can put in your voice, and you can say, I'm not fighting. Yeah, and they can also look at stripping you, too. Hmm. You know, so there's a lot of, of things that, that come into play here. And uh, um, I, I think Stipe is a great fighter. He's a great champion. And I don't know, hopefully we'll, we'll get to see that fight sooner than later. But uh, I read the little article where he said he's not going to fight till like, what you said, the fall, probably. Um, so I don't know. We'll see. But then Dana said something else too. So I don't mm. know. I don't know what's going to happen. 
It's a weird one. There's no way Cormier would fight the winner of Rosenstruck and, and Ganu, right? I mean, he's it's Stipe or bust. Uh, you know, I haven't spoken to him about that, but from last I talked to him, it's the championship or bust. So that, that I do know. So, yeah. so if Stipe is still the champion, then whoever's the champion is that or bust. Right. Interesting. Uh, by the way, there was a report. I don't know if you're able to comment on it at all, but Cain Velasquez, there was a big cut that happened at WWE in terms of their roster. It was reported that he was released. I don't know what you know about this, but I'll ask it in a so, sort of a different way. Any chance in your mind Velasquez comes back to the UFC? No. That's done? No, that chapter's closed? He's, he's, he's wrestling. He'll be wrestling. All right. Fair enough. Uh, and then uh, last but certainly not least, there's been uh, a resurgent Luke Rockhold. Uh, he hasn't made any commitments. He hasn't said, I'm back for this. He hasn't declared one thing or the other. But you know this, Hoff. A lot of guys feel burned out. We, we, we Robert Whitaker, the champion previously in that weight class, you know, and then they, they get over the burnout a little bit and they decide to come back. What did you make of some of his comments about wanting to come back? Maybe. Well, well, Luke, you know, the thing about Luke, when when he kind of left it, he never officially retired for that very reason, that he may be looking at this coming back. And I talked to him last week, and he's just waiting for a few uh, injuries that, that have to take to have surgery to, to rehab completely before he makes a full commitment. Uh, but we, we don't know. You know, I would say I wouldn't be surprised if we see Luke make a fight soon because he's 100% ready. Uh, but he said he wanted to give his body, uh, excuse me, he wanted to give his body uh, a time to heal. Got it. Okay. Well, you know what? It's a it's a crazy time in this uh, in this sport, Hav, and you're at the front line of it. I know you got a lot of things going, so we really appreciate your time. Really appreciate your insight, and um, uh, you, you must be watching the fights on Saturday, right? You're gonna watch them? Well, yeah, definitely, definitely watch them. I mean, it'll be the first live sporting event. And in, in, in a few months, right? I think a whole bunch of people can be watching it. You're not you're not watching Korean baseball on ESPN at five in the morning, Hav? Uh, I didn't <laughs> know there was such a thing as Korean baseball, so no. <laughs> yeah, they're airing it. You if you're if you're really hard up for sports, they're airing Korean baseball like you know middle of the night. It's great. I don't, I don't know too many people to be too hard up for that. <laughs> <laughs> at least not on this side of the world, uh, Javier. Appreciate your time and best of luck with everything. We'll talk soon. All right, thanks, buddy. All right, bye-bye. This week on World of Basketball, European coaching legend and former San Antonio Spurs assistant coach Ettore Messina dropped by to talk about whether or not he's surprised by the immediate impact that Luka Doncic has had on the NBA. I thought he was going to be a good player in the NBA, honestly. I could not ever imagine that he could have had such an impact right off the bat right? in terms of producing triple doubles like you know peanuts i think that the the key thing in his career has been the coach carline gave him the ball and put him at the point guard new episodes of world of basketball are available every thursday on the sirius xm app and pandora who's a tougher fight for number Madoff? is it tony ferguson or is it uh, justin gaethje you know what's funny about this? I actually asked this question last night to a guy. Um, he is one of the teammates of Israel Adesanya down there in old New Zealand. And um, he has 70-plus kickboxing bouts. I think he's got like 10 or 11 MMA bouts. I mean, he's, you know, been around the block, to put it mildly. It's Brad Riddell. They call him Quake. 
And uh, he's a big 155er. He just beat Magomed Mustafayev, which was very impressive in the last UFC show. Really, 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 really impressive. Um, okay. So, what's the big deal here? Um, he said that he thinks Tony is basically a bad matchup for um, Justin. But what he said was, Justin is the tougher fight for Nurmagomedov. And his reasoning is that, and who knows if this is correct. I mean, part of this is, I've said it before, you can always look at a way a guy can fight. That doesn't mean they will fight that way. And you always want to be careful about that. But here was the reasoning that he offered me, which was Justin doesn't want to go to the ground ever. The guy wrestled collegially. He knows how to do it. In his six UFC fights, he has offered up a whopping zero takedowns doesn't want to do them ever wants to strike on the feet the entire time i mean i suppose he might go for a standing submission if it made itself possible but i don't think he's even gone for one i mean how many submissions i'll look this up while i'm, while I'm talking i don't even know how many submissions he's attempted in his ufc run right it's just not a part of what he does at all he wants to keep it standing and it, yeah, he hasn't even attempted any submissions. He's never attempted one. Never attempted a sub. Never even attempted a takedown. Does not care. And so the argument might be that Khabib is better than uh, better at wrestling, but it would be something like the Al Iaquinta fight at UFC 223, where Al got taken down a bunch, but there were rounds when he would be on point with his takedown defense, and they'd have to slug it out in the feet. Now. Khabib had a pretty good jab and was able to use that effectively to keep somebody off of him. But against Justin Gaethje, that ain't going to work. That ain't going to work at all. Justin's going to be all over him. And conversely, you've seen Kevin Lee take down Tony Ferguson. Well, with staph infection, by the way. So your thought is, okay, if Kevin Lee can take him down, well, then it's got to be true that... Nurmagomedov Madoff can take him down. And here's the key to that. According to Brad, you've got someone like um, Tony. If they get taken down, they might want to get back up. We'll see. But he also doesn't mind competing from that position. Like you take him down, he'll think to himself, okay, I've got a great guard. I'll slash you up with my elbows from underneath. I don't need to worry about getting up right away. I don't need to expend a bunch of energy just to get back where I was. But if he does that, you sort of, either way, you're kind of playing into his game plan, right? If you just give into the position, Nurmagomedov is dominant there. If you try to stand up, his game is predicated on wearing you out and then finding advantageous positions as you begin to build yourself back up again. And then he just bombs on you from there. Justin's approach of like no ground ever plus aggressive striking risk taking heavy handedness it turns out for Brad that is the difference maker so isn't that funny right you got one guy is this is what they mean I mean again he this is all speculation this is all one man's analysis but that's not bad analysis I mean that's good analysis right that is a very what he is presenting at a bare minimum is a very plausible set of scenarios He's, he's, he is presenting to you, it is very possible that a person like Justin cannot get past Tony. You heard Javier Mendez today say, you know, Tony with the extra training, it's going to be tough. Uh, Brad Riddell said the exact same thing to me last night. 
said the exact same thing to me last night. Said, with that extra training, dude, he's going to be on him. And yet, there's this sense that what Justin does and the singularity of it all is uh, totally different. To- it makes him much tougher for that particular. Dude, this styles make fights, man. Styles make fights. And I know I've said to you before, skills win fights. But sometimes, sometimes, it's not whether you have all of the skills in all of the departments. It's a question of do you have the right skills for the particular challenge involved? Because, I mean, think about what Khabib wants to do. He wants to strike just enough so that he can do all of his work on the floor. Justin is the literal opposite of that. Tony is not. Now, maybe both of those guys beat Nurmagomedov, right? I mean, we, are, we keep saying, well, one could be tougher than the other. We could be living in a world where both of them are better than him, right? We don't know that. It seems possible. But it's just interesting to me how uh, maybe the best way to fight fire is with fire. You want to have a specialist who can do a couple of other things, but really just wins fights basically one way. Get the guy who does the literal opposite of that. I don't think that's crazy. I don't know if it's right. There's only one way to find out. You got to make him fight. And if he doesn't get past Tony, who's to say what Justin will or will not, won't, won't do against a number of It becomes, at that point, a frankly somewhat irrelevant question. But it's worth thinking about now because every time someone tries to beat Nurmagomedov, Madoff, oh, I'm going to strike with him. Doesn't work. Oh, you know what? If he takes me down, I'm just going to get back up. Doesn't work. Oh, I'm just going to play from guard. Doesn't work maybe the answer is I'm going to absolutely take away his wrestling from him and I'm going to smash my knuckles into him over and over and over and over again in a way that other people just can't do because they don't, they don't fight the way that I fight. It's, it's a phenomenal question. And I know Nurmagomedov is going to be watching, but you get back to what Justin Gaethje had to say, which is he doesn't mind playing spoiler here at all. <laughs> the world really wants to see Tony versus Khabib. Hell, we're supposed to be watching it today, or we were supposed to, we were supposed to have seen it three weeks ago. But it's not in the cards, yeah? We're going to see what happens. But if it ends up being that uh, Justin beats Tony and then beats Nurmagomedov, the, even though he lost to Poirier and Alvarez, he becomes like a Fabricio Verdum. Right? I mean, Justin Gaethje, if, you, if Justin Gaethje beats Tony and then fights Nurmagomedov and beats him, he becomes the Fabricio Verdum of lightweight, which is you could make a case he's the best ever, but he's got a bunch of losses too. Not a bunch, but he's got noteworthy losses. And yet he beat all the ones that we thought already were the best. Right? Like Verdum beat Cain Velasquez. Verdum, Noguera. Verdum beat Fedor. It's like, so then is Verdun the best? It's like, well, he lost to Alexander Volkov. Not necessarily. And even in his prime, he had some bad losses too, right? I mean, that wasn't the only one. He lost to JDS, for example. He got bounced from the promotion after losing to JDS. Um, and he lost to Overeem. You know, he's had some losses, but at the same time, he beat all the very best ones. It, it, we could be in a case where Justin Gaethje ends up being like the Fabricio Verdun of the lightweight division. That's, that's still ahead of us, 
But something to think about. The Ock and Barack Show. It's either make the big fights happen, fighters take less money, or stand their ground and wait till we get to a point where their audiences. That might not happen for another year. The big fighters like AJ, like Canelo, all of these big names, are they willing to wait a year without fighting? Can the networks deal with that? Can the promoters deal with that? And eventually it's going to come down to the point where you either take it or you leave it. There's no more money for you to get. The Ock and Barack Show. Weekdays from noon till 3 Eastern. Only on Sirius XM Fight Nation Channel. 156. I want to get a, a guest on the show. We don't have a ton of government officials on, uh, not all the time, although more than you might imagine, I suppose. But when the UFC said they're going to go to Jacksonville, they said, you know, we cleared it with the governor, we cleared it with the athletic commission, and we cleared it with the mayor. And everyone on those three terms spoke out in favor of it. So I thought, you know what, let's, let's see if we can talk to the mayor. Now, he's not available, but we've got somebody from the mayor's office, the chief administrative officer, I believe. It's Brian Hughes. Hi, Brian. How are you? Hey, Luke, I'm doing well. Thanks for having me on to talk about this. We're excited here in Jacksonville. Yeah, so let's talk about this for just a second. In terms of that excitement, what is the city of Jacksonville's position, to the best of your knowledge, about the UFC coming there? I mean, what is, how do they view this event on Saturday? And, of course, there's two more the following week. Yeah, so, um, so first and foremost, we're just excited. We, you know, the idea for us that Jacksonville is about to become, for at least a, a week or two, uh, kind of the epicenter for the, the first real uh, broadcast athletic competition, certainly in the United States, but maybe worldwide. Um, we're proud that Jacksonville will do that. Obviously, um, COVID's impacted us all. The city has uh, been through a lot and continues to go through things. But we've worked with UFC and the state regulators to ensure uh, that all the participants in the Jacksonville facility are going to be safe. So we're excited. Is there... What was the impetus for doing it? I mean, it's exciting, right, to get sports back. Everyone else would agree. I was joking with a previous guest if he was watching Korean baseball at 5 in the morning on ESPN. I mean, that's something, but that's not exactly what everyone's looking for, which I think you'd understand. But what was the impetus? Is it economic impact? Because a hotel's going to open up. That's not nothing. Those are people that work there. Is it something else? Like, What is the real driving motivation here? Well, in Jacksonville, you know, although uh, you can argue how successful we are as an NFL city <laughs> with our Jaguars, we are an NFL city, one of 32. We have a pretty robust uh, minor league sports uh, group around that. We've got hockey, semi-pro hockey. We've got uh, minor league baseball. So we have both in city facilities, a lot of capacity for sports and entertainment. And we also have as a city, just a, you know, it's, it, Jacksonville, Florida is an outdoor, it's a beach community, waterfront community. It's kind of an outdoor and athletic spirit. The mayor himself uh, is a big sports enthusiast and a, and a big athletic competitor. And before he was mayor of Jacksonville years ago, he served on the state's boxing commission. Hmm. So he's, uh, he's a you know, fight and, and combat sport fan. So as we looked, uh, you know, the, the, we have amateur and semi-pro uh, MMA things that happen here in town. And right at the beginning of the COVID crisis, there was one that had been booked. The local promoter had worked with our uh, fire uh, marshal crew and code enforcement to ensure it was done in a safe way and adhered to our initial executive orders without a crowd, minimize the number of people, do all these certain steps. And that happened successfully. So I think it got some attention at the same time that UFC had started to try to talk to different venues and different cities about what could be done as the orders got more and more restrictive. And uh, we were on the radar. Florida was making uh, aggressive steps uh, to, to talk to them. 
uh, you know, simultaneously too, in Orlando, we had uh, uh, WWE continuing to do broadcasts without crowds. Uh, the cons, uh, the con family who own the Jaguars also own uh, AEW, which is a pro wrestling thing. And they had done some broadcast only work in our, in one of our sports facilities. So anyway, the, the short version would be that the stars aligned, but we definitely, when we heard they were interested, we, we sought out a way to work with them and at least run through the traps of if it could be done safely uh, and in a way that made sense to everybody that we would, we would entertain uh, the concept. And when they came with a very rock solid plan, uh, the governor's office working here with us at the city, you know, we were ready to go. All right. So I got a bunch of follow-ups to that one. The first one is, um, I don't know if you've seen on social media, the UFC fighters are showing up and they're getting the cotton swabs. Oh my God. It looks like it's getting shoved into their brains for crying out loud, but they're all getting tested. It it is. Yeah. (laughs) Wait, did you get it? I've I've had one. Yeah. Not fun, right? So not a fun thing. (laughs) And so, so there are two different types of testing for you. If you want to learn what I've learned in the last six weeks about COVID, um, the swabs, which either go down your nose or deep in your throat. And those are for the presence of the virus at the moment. And then there's antibody testing, which is from your blood to see for the, the presence of, of what your body creates as it reacts to COVID, which is some measure of, of not immunity, but resistance to it. And whether you've had it, even though you're no longer positive. Okay. So they've been tested for both. Right. And I've, I've seen the finger prick on the, uh, yeah. with the vial that they get for this, for the antibody test. All right. So a couple of responses. My point only is this, um, the, the show you had mentioned, I, th- I forget the MMA combat show, I think was the rough approximation of the name, which was the regional one that was the precursor to this. I mean, UFC is, yeah. I mean, they got their own hotel security policy. I mean, it's like they're going through the works to get this. It seems like they've do- certainly doing more than I've ever seen any other promoter do in terms of health and safety. And, and obviously this is unprecedented, but that show you had mentioned, granted it was much earlier in time, um, but it did not have COVID testing. So let me ask you this, from the mayor's perspective, if any event, sporting event, MMA or otherwise, is going to go forward at this point, do you guys view it as incumbent that the person or the entity staging it involve robust COVID testing? Absolutely. Moving forward from where we are today, as we as we look at, and by the way, we had instilled in, in that, that when, um, when, uh, when all elite wrestling, the, the, the televised professional wrestling component did a crowdless thing, they did pre-testing of the production staff and the people to ensure that, that, you know, the, the, in the days before that they had done that testing regime. So yes, going forward, we would look to athletic athletics uh, or athletes, participants, production staff. We would want them to demonstrate basically for the event that the events we're doing with UFC Anybody that's going into that building uh, will have been uh, tested in one, at least one of the two pathways. Right. Got it. Okay. And so the other, right. And the other component here, which is is kind of interesting that you had indicated was I was, I was looking uh, if you go to the, um, there's a website nationally called COVID tracking, which you can follow the outbreak and everything, hospitalizations, blah, 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 in all the different States. And I was looking at Florida's and one thing that was really, you know, I'm not in Florida, so this will be obvious to you, but it wasn't to me at the time, which was they actually had the state had put together a map and on the map, it had showed which counties have it worse than other ones, essentially, and they were color-coded. So if you looked at, like, Miami-Dade in the south, that seems to be 
the predominant hotspot. If you go north into the east, which is where Jacksonville is, it was significantly less, right? I think I, I even looked in the top five cities in terms of population. Jacksonville has the lowest outbreak of COVID of all of them. Was it merely that as an attractive function? Or like, I guess what I'm trying to wonder is, or wondering out loud is, it sounds like the city of Jacksonville, there was advocacy outreach to the UFC to bring them there. Is that a fair characterization or no? It is. We were working with, so the state regulatory folks that have the, the boxing and fight commission is a, a cabinet level governor's secretary office called the department of professional and business regulation. The secretary of that is a uh, Halsey Bashir's. So the boxing commission and all of its regulatory component for fights are under him. Halsey, the mayor and myself had talked uh, as we learned that USC on the front end before the, the ESPN kind of hit the pause pause button on them. On the front end, we were talking to them. Obviously, ESPN and Disney uh, put, put a break on when things looked like they could get much worse. Then ultimately, as that turned out not to be the, the case, it looked like ESPN might you know go back to a posture of if we can find the place, so be it. So we reignited the conversation saying, we're ready. Uh, show us your plan. If the plan's good, we're your guys. Can you give us a sense? Another note, real quick, another thing you did note that I I think is right and worth talking about. So Jacksonville is a city, but it's also a a county. We're we're both. Jacksonville is Duval County. Duval County is the city of Jacksonville. So we're one of 67 counties in Florida. We're the largest city in Florida, both population and landmass. And despite the size and, and density, we have had very, very low uh, exposure to COVID, and we've had a very successful mitigation program run by the mayor that has, even now, our percentage of positives just continue to drop. So I think it's also, you know, Jacksonville is also enticing for that, which is we're certainly not a city or an area that's suffering uh, from the virus itself. Obviously, the economic impacts are out there and, and affecting people but the disease itself has been relatively minor compared to the rest of the nation and the world. All right. So let me play devil's advocate for some skeptics who might be listening, which is naturally you're going to understand two questions are going to have, which is, um, is there any kind of a testing shortage there, which would, because folks are going to say, well, UFC's okay. They're testing everyone. That means the event itself could be relatively safe. Again, there's always going to be risks, but relatively safe. Right. Um, but should those tests go to someplace else? And then the secondary question would be to what extent is there, um, uh, availability at local hospitals. So on testing, we have led, we had one of the first testing sites in the state, the city and the state worked together to get it. So literally within days of this becoming a, a big deal for everyone around the country, Jacksonville had, had begun testing. We've continued to increase our testing throughout. In our testing uh, scheme here, we don't have a shortage. We have more capacity in testing today and we have people using it. So we encourage anyone in Jacksonville or Northeast Florida, uh, Lot J, which is near our TIA bank, the football field is a big drive-by, uh, drive-up testing. We have a number of testing opportunities. Were there shortages that would undoubtedly have been a calculation, but because we have robust supply and robust ability, we were happy to provide that testing and it in no way uh, diminishes the capacity of us to serve the people of our city or region. Um, the second one related to hospitals, our hospital capacity has trended like the rest of our data. Um, you know, at the height of when people thought it could get very, very bad, 
we were concerned, but we never came anywhere near reaching our hospital capacity. And as of the last several days, our capacity in, uh, in our hospital system locally uh, is it mirrors what it was pre-COVID. So we have very few cases, very few hospitalizations, and all of our. And, and by the way, Jacksonville is home to some of the world's best hospitals. The Mayo Clinic has a has a facility here. Baptist Health System has a hospital here. The Memorial Hospital System has one here. We we have some of the world's best hospitals, and they've never gotten anywhere near capacity for us. And it's a it's you know it's it's a blessing. We're we're happy as a city that we've done some things and and. Uh, and the, the disease itself never you know, reached some of the real catastrophic numbers that people thought. Certainly. Uh, and sort of a side question here outside of UFC, I'm just thinking about the rest of the year. Um, what, what is your sense about, because look, I mean, UFC is going to stage this event and they've got this hotel and all of the system set up and it's elaborate, but it sounds like they're going to make it happen. Not just again on Saturday, but the following week as well. But my goodness, for the Jacksonville Jaguars, really NFL team, any NFL city has to be. I live in Washington D.C. Like we're paying attention to this as well. For the Redskins, it's like how how are they going to do this? I don't. What is your sense about the feasibility? Given what you know about the UFC event, what is your sense about the feasibility of getting an NFL season? Forget the fans. I'm not worried about that. Just yeah. games going in any kind of realistic timeline. Well, as an NFL city, we work with the team and the league uh, in a number of ways. Obviously, the league just did some updates on their schedule. You know, our Jaguars have a, a program that they at least once a year go over and play a game in London. <clears throat> Excuse me. And um, and that was going to be two away games or two, two games in London this year. That's not going to happen now. Um, so at least as a schedule, um, we are expecting a regular – schedule of NFL uh, matchups through the fall. Um, we've only really just begun to contemplate how that's done. And quite frankly, if the model that UFC presented uh, is how we move forward, we're going to be in good shape because what they did and what we're hoping everybody will emulate. And we've seen it, by the way, we have a minor league baseball team that's already supposed to be playing. We had a, a minor league hockey a team that its season got cut short. Um, so we've seen the impact on our sports and entertainment, but the local uh, ownership groups of these teams that, that play in city facilities have begun looking at working with their leagues and looking, working with us to look at how, um, first, how they can just get the facilities open if it's crowdless games and, and do all the right safety things. And then maybe as we progress, get to a place where we actually can contemplate limited crowds. Hmm. Um, but that's very speculative. Uh, we just don't know at this point, but, but my point would be that if the leagues and the, and the ownership groups take the, the professionalism and, uh, and the sort of the planning, uh, guidance that UFC, uh, started with, we're going to be good because, because UFC demonstrated a, uh, an amazing, uh, commitment to safety and to its, its both its, its uh, talent and its production staff in the plan that they presented right out of the gate. So we'll, we'll hope to, to see other ownership groups and teams and leagues emulate that as we contemplate how to move forward. 
Last question for you, which is, I read an article in Bloomberg this morning with some woman who was uh, in London. She wasn't sure if she had COVID, so she did four different antibody tests, and two of them said she had it, two of them said she didn't, and the, a doctor had told her basically to get the real antibody test, you have to go and get a lab and get you know intravenous blood drawn. Uh, here's my only point why I bring that up. It's like UFC is trying to cross every T. They're trying to dot every I. I think everyone can agree, but no system is perfect. So in asking that, what is your sense about what success is? Is it success if nobody gets COVID from this? Is success of like, if, it, if they're doing three shows, if only one person gets it? Or I mean, how, how is the city thinking about what the terms of success are given this experiment? I don't know that we're, we're, we're contemplating it in terms of a case, this case or that number or this person as much as it's, we know this, we've provided a safe venue that's been uh, pre- prepared for the very limited number of people that will use it. Those people through the leadership of UFC have enacted a number of testing and healthcare uh, components before, during, and after uh, that will uh, that we believe is is as safe as a medical facility. It, it mirrors what uh, what's happening at hospitals as they prepare their staff to come in and out. I mean, the, the procedures are very aggressive and very uh, very safe. So, from our perspective, the success would be uh, our, our venue looks good, does the job it's supposed to. Uh, a, a little bit of economic impact, positive economic impact comes. Uh, because obviously without crowds, that's diminished. UFC has a successful event, uh, and all them and all their people are safe and sound on the, at the end. And when they, uh, when they, we get back to a more normal world where we can have big crowds, big ticket events, uh, we hope UFC. And, and by the way, Dana White has said this to local press in the last day or two, that we're definitely going to be, uh, you know, on the list when they get back to a more normal type of operation. To, be, to play host to future events. So we're hopeful that, you know, they have a great event. Our people uh, maintain good safety. Our venue looks good. People around the world get to tune into some, some quality uh, competitive athletics. And, uh, and, you know, personally, I'll say I hope Ferguson uh, wins the fight. But, <laughs> that's not a city of Jacksonville position. It's All just right. a, a Ferguson fan. But, All right. Um, yeah, success is everybody's. Everybody's happy and knows that they did what they needed to do to produce some good athletic entertainment. Fair enough. I uh, appreciate your uh, time and your insight, as well as your oversight of everything that is uh, happening here with the city of Jacksonville. It's Brian Hughes, the chief administrative officer of the city of Jacksonville. Thank you so much, Brian. Enjoy the fights on Saturday. Thanks, Luke. Appreciate it. Thanks for listening. Catch the Luke Thomas Show live and in its entirety weekdays from 3 to 6 p.m. Eastern on Sirius XM Fight Nation Channel 156. On Twitter, follow at L Thomas News and the channel at MMA on Sirius XM.